Amen. Well, it's good to see you today. Good to be back. I, I was here last Sunday, but Justin was teaching because it was his, his week, and then he taught the week before while I was in Florida. I have some, a pastor and his wife, who I've known both of them since they were born, so I made a rare exception of when I will leave and go teach somewhere else, and I was able to be back there, minister to their church, and, but it's always good to be back and to continue in our study as we go through um, the verses for life. Um, but while, you know, during the last couple of weeks, people have been asking me to, oh, com- what are your comments on what's going on in Israel? And then secondarily, what's going to happen to our Israel tour in May? So I thought I'll address it really quickly. First of all, the, in, no one but an idiot would condone what Hamas did in Israel. No one, an idiot or a congresswoman perhaps, but um, <laughs> it's, it's not a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. The, the Bible never predicted that this particular thing would happen. Biblical prophecy, Jesus said, you're going to have this kind of stuff happen all the time, and it doesn't mean anything about his coming. He's going to come when you don't expect it. So I, I don't jump on the bandwagon of here's a way to exploit current events by claiming that these are fulfillments of biblical prophecy any more than, you know, when the Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. So every time somebody says there is no God, I do an update to tell you how that's a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Now, it's not that. Now, as far as going to Israel, I'm not, I wouldn't be afraid to go right now, but, but uh, you know, I, I don't have a real high desire to live. But... Um, <laughs> May is a long ways away when our trip is planned. And so the way things usually happen over there, um, this thing's going to blow over pretty quickly, and I'm not anticipating that it'll be a problem for our tour. A friend of mine was over there with a group while it happened, and they said it was fine. See, everybody on every side depends on tourism to survive. So, you know, they never do any of this stuff against tourists. They They do it against the people who they think they can get away with it on. Um, But at the same time, I'm like, if if we were supposed to go this week, I'd probably go, yeah, let's just go somewhere else. Our tour that we have planned is a week in Israel and then a week in the Mediterranean going to Athens and Corinth and Rome and places like that, Ephesus. So, um, you know, a possibility is if Israel heats up more, Iran gets involved or there's other stuff that's happening. We could maybe expand that other part of the trip and skip Israel, but I'm not going to decide anything in the next couple of weeks because things tend to happen really quickly over there. And, uh, you know, but obviously I know there are some people who will, oh, no, I'm not going to go. Pastor Chuck, used, Pastor Chuck had a group there during the Yom Kippur War, and it was fine. <laughs> So he, Chuck always said, the most dangerous thing on a trip to Israel is the drive to LAX. So <laughs> that's probably true. But at any rate, I'm, we're watching it. We're aware. At the same time, we're not going to make a knee-jerk reaction because I personally fully expect that by that time, things will settle back down and we'll be able to do our trip the way we planned it. But if not, we'll have some flexibility and we're already thinking about that as well. So that being said, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
I've really been enjoying this series called Verses for Life. The idea is, and there are different people who say, my life verse is this. You find a verse that becomes like your focus, that something that's like defines life for you. And if you talk to a lot of different people, different people have life verses. And over time, you even find out that one thing that used to be your life verse, as your circumstances have changed, you end up being drawn more to a different verse that becomes your life verse for right now. So in this series called Verses for Life, we're pulling up scriptures that I think really everyone could benefit by memorizing these scriptures, hiding them in your heart, meditating on them, thinking about them and processing them. And so I'm loving going through this series, really enjoying it. So the verse that we're looking at today is 1 Peter 3.15. You might be familiar with it. It's, there's a lot to the verse and, and it'll be a challenge for you to memorize it because it's a bit intricate in places. Um, but I want to read some of the surrounding verses to put it into context. In 1 Peter 3, Peter is talking about the fact that many of these people he was writing to are going through really hard times. They're going through painful times for various and assorted reasons. And Peter understood this. Persecution was kicking up more and more. And so the question is, how in the world do you represent Jesus when you hurt, when you're going through difficult times? But if you, to look at the context in verse 13, he says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed, you're happy. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And here's our verse, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And he goes on in verse 16 to say, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So he says, frame of reference, you are going through a hard time. Jesus showed us how to do this. And he has a specific way for us to live our lives where not only can we survive, but we can actually inspire and encourage and help other people through the, those things that we are enduring in our lives, which is really an important thing for us to understand. For me, the scripture is something that it's like pretty much most, now there are times in your life when everything's going perfectly. Maybe you've had that kind of a week. Great for you. But for most of us, there are things in our lives that aren't happening the way we wish they would, that aren't happening the way we would like them to be. That's the real test. Anybody can handle things are going well, but it's really challenging to handle when things don't go well, but that's what ultimately defines who you are. And so he's saying, Peter's saying, 
you guys are going through this. And this was something he was living himself as he was moving toward what would eventuate in him being crucified there in Rome. But he's going, here's what you do. Here's what you need to remember. And again, it's sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So let's just zoom in on that a little bit because that's the, and again, I understand that's a pretty complicated verse to memorize, but at the same time, oh, it's so powerful when we begin to understand it. So he says, but. He starts with but because he's shifting gears in contrast to, okay, you are going through pain. You are going through you know, persecution. You are going through things that hurt. However, he's saying, here's the contrast. Here's what you do when that's happening. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The word sanctify means to, um, to set apart. It's hagiedzo in the Greek. It's a, it's a word that means this is something that I go, here is what, I know what it is, and it's like I'm putting it in a special place. You find something, you get something that you go, I re- that's valuable. So I am going to sanctify it. I'm going to put it in a place that matters. I remember we had this old vase. I think it's actually in my office now, but it had been in my family for a long time. And it was some Ming vase or something. And, and we, we read, oh, those can be really valuable. And, and so we actually had somebody look at it and appraise it. And they said, that would be really valuable, except somebody drilled a hole in the bottom of it so water could leak through when you put plants in it. So it's pretty much worthless. Now, if all of a sudden they said, I took it on Antique Roadshow or something, and they said, oh, this is valuable, then I wouldn't just go toss it on the bottom shelf in my office. I would actually put it somewhere special, and that's the idea of sanctifying. It's like, here's something that is deserving of attention. Here's something that has value. Here's something that's worthy of honor. And what is it that we sanctify? We have a tendency to sanctify all kinds of things that really shouldn't be sanctified. Like we sometimes act like, I remember as a kid, you're in church and kids are running around in church and people are like, oh no, this is the sanctuary. Comes from the same word. It's like, no, this is the special place. I I sometimes call this the sanctuary because I'm so used to it, but this isn't the sanctuary. You know, Our bodies are said to be sanctuary. It's where God dwells. But we can treat a building as if, and sometimes by getting on kids for running or making noise in the sanctuary, we're reminded of the disciples telling kids to get away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, man, it's all about the kids. This is so appropriate. This is really what it is. So we choose. There are things that that we put on a pedestal. Some of them aren't worth putting on a pedestal. They really don't ultimately matter in the long run. So he says, here's some clarity. 
Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, how do you sanctify the Lord God? Well, first of all, it's sort of unusual to have Lord God put together like that. In some of the old manuscripts and some of your modern versions will say, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. But Lord God is fine too. The idea is who's Lord? Who is in charge? Who's the boss? You need to decide and I need to decide, especially in a time of trial, who is it that's truly the Lord? When we talk about that, you know, oh, you know, he can be your savior, but not your Lord. No, he's either the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all, as somebody has said. But we often need to remember who is the Lord? Who's in charge? Because if you're worried about what's happening, you've forgotten who's in charge. You've forgotten who he is, that he is God and he is the Lord. So Peter says, man, when things aren't going your way, start out by saying, okay, clear the clutter and let's focus on that the Lord is God. Now, if you're going to say the Lord is God, you also need to say, and I'm going to do what he says, because he's really not the Lord if you're like ignoring what he says. But there is that, it's a real purifying awareness to remind yourself, who is it that's sanctified? Who is it that's set apart? Who is it that is put in this position of honor? It's God the Lord. He's the one who's the boss. But it's also in our hearts. See, it's like the heart is the depth of who you are. It's the essence of who you are. You are not your body. You are the immaterial part of you. Your body reflects that, but your spirit, your your psyche, your mind, your will, your emotions, everything that really makes you you isn't physical and material. It It is something that is referred to as the heart, the core of who you are, the basis of who you are. So Peter is saying, you need to take the Lord God and say, that's who is at, my, at the root of my heart, at the root of who I am. And then he goes on to say, and you need to always be ready. Ready for what? Well, that word ready is a word that um, in the original, it meant to practice a, a sport or to train or to loosen up or to be limber. The word was a powerful word that meant you are getting prepared for something else. And so therefore, you better practice. There are some people who, are, who think they're talented enough that they can get by without practice. And some people seem to be able to do that. You know, you see in sports, there are guys like a Kobe Bryant who's so incredibly gifted, but he worked harder than everyone else. On the other hand, you have Michael Jordan, who most people would argue was a little bit better than Kobe. Michael Jordan would be out drinking, carousing, and gambling all night and would show up for a game and be able to perform. I don't know if you're more of one or the other, but he's saying, man, when it comes to the realm of the spirit, 
You need to be in shape. You need to practice. You need to prepare. There's something coming that's worth your finest effort. So when you are going through times of pain, it's a time to loosen up. It's a time to train. It's a time to really exercise yourself in a way that you're getting ready for something really important. And so you sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be preparing. Always be ready. Ready for what? Always be ready to give a defense. And the word there, apologia, is a word that means to be able to explain, to be able to put into focus, and he's gonna be talking about people who, who ask you what's going on with you. He's like, no, your life and the process of sanctification is a process of getting ready for those opportunities when you can explain why your life doesn't make sense in the way that other people's does. Our opportunity and our objective is that the way we respond to difficulties in life causes people to go, wow, how do you do that? And we can all, we've all seen people who go through really tough times and they just seem to nail it. We've seen plenty of other people and we've all endured this ourselves or sometimes it gets the best of us. But Peter is saying, you're in training and the object of your training is to be able to give an an explanation to be able to show people what, why this is working for you, to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So to give a reason, the word there for reason is the word logos. And it usually refers to, it means word, but it means more than that. It's referring to a logical process, how putting thoughts and ideas together. And so what he's saying here is when you're going through a hard time, you have an opportunity. Don't miss it because this is part of your training so that as you grow and you learn, you are now able to make people go, I'm amazed at how you're handling what you're dealing with. I'm amazed at the process that you have gone through to be able to handle life the way it has because I'm not sure how I would handle what it is you're going through and I see you handling it. I see you doing it. Not that they see you as being perfect, but a huge part of our mission in life is to handle the inevitable. There are always going to be tough things that happen. I'm not saying that God makes those things happen and they're his fault. It's just life in this world, it doesn't go our way all the time. And sometimes, like Peter talks about, you could suffer for doing the wrong thing. That's obvious. But sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. You're still suffering. But here's your opportunity to prepare yourself to be able to be an example to other people about why you have hope. And that word hope is a word that refers to an anticipation of great things that are coming. So 
It's like, when things are great now, what do you think about? You think about that you might lose them. You know, you hear people say, I don't ever want this day to end. Now, you look at your day and tell me whether you can't wait for this day to end or you don't want this day to end. Chances are things are going your way. You don't want it to end. Things are not going your way and you want it to end. And yet, you know, Peter says, you have this amazing supernatural opportunity to be, to take hope to take anticipation, to let people know that, you know what? I'm really looking forward to what's going to come next. I think a lot of times when we talk about the conditions in the world, it's so easy to act like, oh no, we're in trouble, this is it. The only thing that could happen, Jesus has to come back or this whole thing is gonna be melted completely. And we, we love the perspective of saying, Back when I was a kid, man, the world was so great. I, you know, and, and that's, that's the way we look at it. I'm an old man. I, to me, it seemed like, well, it was way better back then. But in every objective sense, I could give you a thousand ways in which the world is way better now than it ever was then, that it was worse then in a lot of ways than it is now. Yeah, there, we keep inventing new ways of messing up, but at the same time, it's like, is your perspective... I'm looking forward to the future? Or is your perspective, I'm so worried about the future. I'm so afraid of what's going to happen. You know, faith is that you don't run away from challenges and difficulties. When you run away from, you know, if you, uh, and I understand there are some people who have an appeal to just get away from civilization or to go off and live off the grid somewhere and ride out the tribulation or whatever. But ultimately, is that what the Lord would do? Is that what God has ever done? Is that what he ever tells his people to do? Is that what Peter's saying? Peter's like in a place where he is in danger and he's not running away. He could have easily just headed off somewhere else and avoided the danger. But instead, he's like, you know what? It's difficult, but I can be a messenger of hope. I can be someone who sees, we'll get through this. Now, the world desperately needs it. You probably can remember times when maybe in your life, you felt like, I don't see any hope. And then somebody comes along and goes, come on, suck it up. Realize, no, there's hope. It's going to get better. How many of us, when we were young, had somebody just encourage us? It's not always going to feel like this. It's not always going to hurt like this. It's not always going to be hard. How many moms, while they, they have a new baby and they feel like, this is killing me, and other moms just come along and go, trust me, it goes by so fast, and then it'll be great for a few years, and then it's going to be hell, and then it'll get better again. But it's like, you know, that message of hope is so important. And he goes, here's your opportunity. Your pain is training you to get you in shape so that you can explain to people why even though I hurt, I have hope. I'm still looking forward. I'm not quitting. I'm not running. I'm not going to go hide or go you know, out in the Thule's. I'm going to deal with life as it is because I have that hope. 
But, and then it's interesting that he says that your hope is with meekness, which is the word meek isn't, isn't really the best translation probably, maybe gentleness. It's like you're not pushing, you're not shoving, you're not a bully with, with meekness and fear. Now, when you're hurting, when you're going through things that are going not the way you want them to go, Easiest thing in the world is to turn into an aggressive, you know, and we see this. We look at the world today. Our first reaction to look at the world is, oh, man, I wish, you know, this, I, that we need to wipe this person out. We need to get rid of that person. Why in the world is that? We just need to crush them. That's a real natural reaction. You shouldn't feel bad that you feel that way. It's usually the first way we feel. But the world needs people who can stay calm in the middle of things being difficult. I can think of people in my life who, when I was worked up, they, could, they just had a more mature attitude and they were good at calming me down and having me not just go off half cocked. And so Peter is saying, you can have that opportunity that you can make people optimistic enough that they don't have to get all rough and, and fired up and ready to crush somebody. But it's with meekness and fear. Last week, Justin did an excellent job teaching on the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And our, our inclination is to just say, well, fear doesn't really mean fear. It more means you know respect. But it's not true, as Justin pointed out last week. Fear means fear. It's okay to be afraid if you admit that you're afraid. I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I had a friend who I really liked and looked up to, and, and we had just hopped a train, and, and we got off at the beach, and then we were coming back because there was no train coming that way. And, and we're having this intimate, as intimate of a conversation as like a 12-year-old can have. And he goes, he goes, you know, Dave, you know what I like about you? And I had this warm feeling of, God, he, Bill likes me. He's, you know, I go, no, what do you like about me? He goes, you're not afraid of anything. And I felt like that's kind of a dumb thing to be valued for, but it's also so not true. But people thought that. They thought I wasn't afraid of anything because I would do anything. I wouldn't let fear keep me from doing something, but I was scared to death. I understood there's, a, there's an elevated sense of awareness. And like people would go, yeah, aren't you that kid that swung on a rope over the freeway? And, well, you must not be afraid of anything. I was scared to death. And my fear was what caused me to hang onto the rope and not die. But the appearance from the outside is, oh yeah, you're not afraid. We don't have to cover up fear to pretend we don't have it. See, if we're going to encourage people to move forward into the future, it helps if we go, you know what? I'm scared too. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm not scared. There's, you know, that, that uh, old saying of, you know, that the original was, if you can keep your head when all about you, others are losing theirs, then you're a man. But then the adaptation to it was, if you can keep your head when all about you, others are losing theirs, you probably don't know what's going on. And the truth is, 
if you look at the world and it doesn't scare you, there's something wrong with you. The real question is, what do you do with your fear? Do you let your fear steal from you the capacity to live life forward? So you can say, I don't need to be afraid. Why? Because of who God is. But at the same time, you're communicating your hope with fear. You can go, I'm afraid too, but I believe that everything's going to be okay. And that's so much, so much more powerful in terms of really connecting with other people. So when we look at this, again, he's saying, sanctify, set apart. The Lord God, make up your mind, is God the Lord or not? And ultimately personalize it. It's in your heart. But understand, you are in training, so you should always be warming up, always be ready to give a defense, to tell people, hey, we've got this going on. For anyone who asks you, how in the world can you have hope? How in the world are you looking forward to what's going to happen? But as you are sharing your hope, it's something that is done with a calmness, with a meekness. It's not with, I'm fired up. And also, it's like, I'm scared too. I just know we're going to get through this because of who the Lord is. For me, this gets at the core of what our lives can potentially be, not only in us benefiting from pain, but in us finding opportunities to connect with others as well. Because we're always surrounded by people who are hurting. And if we're honest, a lot of times we're hurting too. So, you know, how do we bring hope? The real point of this verse, verse 15, is how to have hope when you're in pain. And so how can I look forward to what's going to happen when I don't really know what's going to happen and I know that it likely will hurt me or others and it isn't necessarily, I'm not going to get my wish. So how do I stay optimistic? Because if I lose my hope, I lose everything. Losing your hope becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're like, oh no, bad things are going to happen. Bad things tend to happen even more when you do that, when you lose that connection. So hope is the core of all of this, but it comes back to who's God? Who is the Lord of your life? And you can say, oh yeah, I believe in the Lord, but at the same time, I'm going with what I feel, or I'm just going to go with what has been my habit, or I'm going to do what everyone else does. At the center of all of this, we are all in training, and our training is to rub off on other people in a positive, hopeful way. If we get all upset and worked up, that works against us. If we pretend like we're not afraid, that works against us. The message of hope, when it's combined with a sense of, you know, look, I'm going to keep my cool. I'm not all emotionally worked up about this. And at the same time, I'm scared too. But 
God is on the throne in my life. I can't put God on the throne in your life, but I can train dealing with every time something hurts, I can look at it as an opportunity for me to be more prepared to give a defense to people who are like, how in the world can you have hope? My testimony is, it's amazing that you have hope given the way things are in the world, given the way what you're dealing with in your own life or whatever. It's like, here's my opportunity. My training has to come back to, and it always starts and finishes with, so who is God? Who is on the throne of your heart at the very core of your being? And and I've found it's important to have that back in our head, but it's also as a, almost a knee-jerk reaction when life hurts or when it surprises you in a way that you don't regard as good to back up and to say, okay, let's start from the beginning in this verse. All this is going on, but I am taking God as the Lord. I am deciding that he is the one who is in control that he is the one who it's all about, that he has a plan that ultimately is going to work out fine. Some of it may be, like for Peter, me hanging on a cross. But you know what? He's not asking me to do something he didn't do. And in the end, I'm even optimistic about that. You know, you think about Peter, who ultimately, according to church history, Jesus had already told him that, basically, that he was going to be crucified. But he said, I have one request, one last request. I want you to crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus. Wow, what an amazing act from a guy who, when he was younger, he was so impulsive. He was all about himself. He was emotional. Now he's arrived and he's like, I'm fine. How can someone face death like that? You know, well, he's a good example. And he's faced more than, than we've ever had to face. But here's our opportunity. And the only way that we're going to develop a, an anticipation of great goodness is if we learn right from the beginning to set God as Lord and say, that's the core of my heart. Everything that will happen to you this week that hurts, that doesn't go the way that you want it to go, is a reminder, who's the Lord in my heart? Because you can take everything else away, but you can't take away the one who has been sanctified, the one who has been entrenched, who's put on the shelf of my heart at the core of who I am. And if I can do that, then I can show people, you can get through this. You'll you'll be okay. It's going to be all right. Let me show you why I am still calm and not angry and optimistic, even though I'm scared. It's because the Lord is God. And I've made that decision for me. And that ultimately is everything. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing verse. 
And I thank you that it comes in the context of things not going our way. And yet that hope that we so desperately need that can provide hope and an example to others that comes through deciding that you're the Lord, that whatever happens, you are still the Lord God. May we walk in that awareness. May we regard our trials as just a workout so that we can learn to be more effectively communicating the reality of why we have always the best to look forward to with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.